we are starting a new series, uh, ironically enough. It's a really catchy title. It's called Advent. Now, before we get going, I want to share with what we're going to be covering over the course of now and through Christmas Eve. So if you're wondering, yes, we will have a Christmas Eve service right here. It will be candlelight. There will be fire involved, uh, preferably controlled fire, but we'll work on that. Uh, and it will be at 6 o'clock. So 6 o'clock Christmas Eve right here. In the meantime, we're going to talk about all these different themes that have to do with Advent. You might recognize some of these themes as the Advent candles. This is another original idea of mine. Is why don't we just preach through the Advent candles? If you're not familiar, well, this is a chance to get an education. The kids are going to have a candle that gets handed out, and you can light, and they have um, prayers and, and things to read each day. What am I trying to say? Devotions? Is that the right word? Yeah. I don't know why that word was so tough. But yeah, you know, devotions. So you can do this as a family at home, and you can reflect on things. And if something that you do as a family really resonates with you, I ask that you would share that with Barbara or with me so that we can then share it with other families that might need to, to experience what you experienced. So we're going to be talking about hope, love, joy, peace. And then finally on Christmas Eve, hope is here, uh, ironically enough. That's what we're going to be talking about. So as we get started, I think we need to do a little bit of a vocabulary drill here because everything I say is not going to make sense unless we're on the same page. So let's start with a little vocabulary, Advent. This word comes from the Latin, and it literally means the arrival, arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And here's what I find ironic about Jesus. He's all of these things. He's a noticeable person. Uh, a notable person, a notab notable thing, and a notable event. All in one. How cool is that? Now, when it comes to Christians, the Latin expands. It says, for Christians, the coming or the second coming of Christ. See, so often we just think about that first coming. But as I read this book, I read it to the end. I know how it ends. He's coming again. So this is uh, something that we're going to talk about today, but hold on to that. So that's Advent, to the arrival. Now, today we're talking about hope, so let's get a, a definition of hope. Hope is an optimistic state of mind based on an expectation of positive outcomes. Wow, that's a mouthful. So <laughs> hope is basically I'm looking forward to a, an outcome in the future, and I'm optimistic about that outcome. How many people have ever looked forward to something and then been disappointed? Yeah, me too. So there must be something more to this idea of hope, especially when it comes to Christianity, because Jesus didn't come to disappoint, or did he? Hold that thought, too. We're going to talk about that. If you look at these two definitions, the arrival and hope, there has never been a people that needed more hope than a first century Jew. Now think about the, 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 the people called Jewish people, the, the Israelis. They were God's chosen people. They had experienced uh, all the way from Abraham and establishing this line. They had uh, experienced slavery in Egypt and being delivered by Moses. They had experienced this promised land led by Joshua. And then David and then Solomon. I mean, they built this kingdom up into something that was literally a wonder of the world. People came from all over to see the riches of Solomon's court. It was magnificent. And it lasted less than a generation before things started going south. The great hope to establish a kingdom on earth was realized and then unrealized. 
In just a matter of generations, all that went away. And not only did the kingdom go away, they went into exile. This was the history of the first century Jew. They knew all the glory of the old days. They knew what it was like. They also knew where they had come from. Exile, desolation, poverty, war. And now they're living under a brutal occupation, the Romans. They weren't like, hey, guys, cut it out. They were like, hey, we're going to squash you. Uh, we're going to string people up along the roadside, uh, uh, crucify them. They were not nice people. And yeah, they had a temple, but that temple was built to appease them, to keep them calm. Yeah, they had a, a, a religion, but the, the religion was Pharisees and Sadducees, whose, whose main goal was obeying the letter of the law. And oh, by the way, was also considered a tool of the Roman Empire to keep control over the people, not exactly what they had hoped for. So when they heard that the Messiah might be coming, you can imagine the kind of hope that they had. This is the one. This is the one that's going to overthrow the Romans. This is the one that's going to restore the glory of David and Solomon. We're going to be great again. But it didn't quite work out that way. That's not the way that Jesus did it. What fascinates me is if you look at, at Jesus as, as the Messiah, we sometimes don't think about that sense of hope like they might have. And, and I think that we have some good news and bad news here. The, the bad news is we see this quaint little story because we've heard it as kids. We get, the, oh, the, the manger and the star in the sky and the shepherds, and they're all swaying in unison to a good Disney tune, right? <laughs> and they're singing and everybody bursts into song, right? That's not the way it was either. But sometimes we think, oh, that story is just unrelatable for me. I can't, I can't relate to it because I, I just wasn't there, or it, it just seems too quaint. So here's what I want to do today. I want to I jar us just a little bit, just a, a mild nudge, into this sense of expectation like they would have had it so that we appreciate what they were waiting for and what they were expecting. Because believe it or not, we're not that different than they are, and I'll show you how. We're going to start in Luke chapter 21. <clears throat> I'm going to start in verse 25. Now, as I read this, let me prepare you. This is a gentle nudge. This is not what you would expect at a Christmas cheery, warm, fuzzy uh, get-together. So these are the words of Jesus, and uh, he's talking to his gang. He says this, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. He said, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. 
For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. These are the words of God. They are for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Now, doesn't that just leave you warm and fuzzy? Doesn't this just say Christmas all over it? No, it doesn't. It says, this is who I am. This is who I will be when I come again. And I pray that you don't get distracted. I pray that you don't get weighed down by the cares of life. I pray that you are able to stand when I return. For this is your redemption. Now, you may not think much about that. I think, as I look at our world today, we could use a little redemption. There is so much going on. A lot of people always like to make the... uh, connections to the end times. Oh, the, the, the seas are shaking. There's uh, global pandemics. There's disease. There's famine. There's war. There's unrest. Look at the news. It's all around us. Now, Bill, are you saying that these are the end times and Christ is coming soon? I'm saying, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows when he's coming. Not even the Son of Man knows when he's coming. That says it in here. So by by default, anybody that says, this is the date that the world will end and Jesus will come again, they're wrong because nobody knows. That's how you know. How will we know when Jesus comes again? When we see him come again. I mean, this is not rocket science, right? But here's the thing. I look at this world and I go, man, I wish something would change. We need a savior. If he could just come down and swipe it all clean, and we could start over, life would be so good. And that sounds good on the surface until I realize that I might be one of those people that needs to be wiped clean. And this is not something that I can do of my own accord. This is the great uh, advantage that believers have because we are made clean through Jesus Christ. See, that's the best news of all. That's the news that we should be sharing. That's the news that will allow us to stand when the Son of Man comes and we are redeemed. Now, if that doesn't get your fire going, like I say, you got wet wood. We'll work on that. But this ought to, to spark something in us. This ought to motivate us to say, not only do I want this, I want everybody that I love to have this. I want all this to go away. And you know how it goes away? Yeah, Jesus could come down and swipe it all away, or we could share good news of love and forgiveness and watch the world change before our eyes. Interesting take. I don't know uh, how you feel about that, and I don't know if that puts a sense of expectation on you of, man, I want something to change. But now maybe we can relate just a little more to those first century Jews who were living in a society that they were not happy with. It was not good. And they were waiting for God to do something. It's also easier, I think, to understand their disappointment because here comes Jesus. First of all, they're expecting a warrior king like David or, or maybe even Solomon. And what do they get? A baby. Maybe they're expecting someone who's influential and had sway over the population to include the Romans. And what did they get? A carpenter's son, born in poverty. This is not how I would have done it, God. You and me, we need to talk because I got different plans. I got expectations here. 
and they were disappointed because in just a matter of a very short time, uh, they were talking overthrow. Oh, Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans. And then less than a week of that triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they went from overthrow to death throws on a cross. Not what they were expecting. Not good news. Let me rephrase that. Not good news if you end the story there. But the story doesn't end there. See, because they went from cross to tomb and tomb to empty tomb. And Jesus rose again. Now, what does all this have to do with hope? Well, I think we need to define uh, what biblical hope is, not just hope. The first definition came from the dictionary, literally dictionary.com, if you're interested. This is a faith-based definition of hope. It comes from Hebrews 11.1. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is the grounding of all this. It is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Maybe you've heard that before. I want to pull up a quote by John Piper because I think this says it better for me. He says, hope is faith that is focused on the future. This is the key, folks. This is what makes Christian hope different than any other hope in the world. Christian hope doesn't depend on us. Christian hope depends on Christ. Christ never fails. Christ might disappoint me, but doesn't disappoint the plan. Christ isn't blown off course. He's not taken aback. He's not surprised. He's not even conquered by death. Name any other person that can claim that. And if you can claim that, then follow that person. As for me and my house, I've never seen anybody else that fits that criteria. And so, for me and my house, we're going to follow that guy. That's what hope is. It's focused, faith focused on the future. But here's what I really, really want to talk about today because as we look at uh, what hope is, a lot of times we think it's a passive thing. Uh, I, I hope that Jesus comes again. Um, I hope that it doesn't rain today. But can I control that? No. If you're uh, Texas A&M, you hope that you're going to beat LSU too soon? Okay. <laughs> you hope you're going to beat LSU. But here's the thing. Hope is not passive. Let me say that again, Christians. Hope is not passive. In other words, we're not just waiting to see what Jesus is going to do. And here's how I know. I know this because of Texas A&M. Texas A&M hoped that they beat LSU, but they, were, they knew that the game was coming. They were going to prepare for that. Now, I guarantee you that despite the outcome, Texas A&M did not go, wow, I hope, uh, I hope we beat LSU. Let's see what the coach is going to do. Did they wait? Did they do nothing? No. They prepared. They ran plays. They worked out. They ate. They slept. They did everything that they could to be ready for that day when they would face LSU. And even though it didn't work out quite like they planned, they were not passive in their hope of beating LSU. I don't have to be passive about hoping the weather isn't going to rain. 
No, I can't control it, but I can bring a raincoat. I can prepare. And here's why I make this point that hope is not passive. Because so many times when I talk to Christians, this sense of hope is just a passivity that allows us, that enables us not to engage with the world. I mean, it is so bad out there. There is nothing I can do about that. So I just got to give it to God. Yes, you do. But you also got to give you to God. Think about any major movement that you read about in the Bible. God did it through humans. Think about it. They lived in slavery. They needed a deliverer. God delivered them through Moses. God promised them a promised land. They promised they would walk through there. God did that through Joshua. God promised an earthly kingdom. It would be magnificent. He did that through David, through Solomon. And God promised a savior. He did that through Jesus. But here's what I find fascinating about this arrival of the Messiah that was going to change the world. His last command was a great commission. He said, I'm going to go now, but I want you to make disciples of the world, teach them, baptize them all over the world. Make disciples. And oh, by the way, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you so that it will teach you everything that I said and you will remember everything and so that you can make disciples of the world. This is Jesus accomplishing his mission through us. It's not passive. See, we have been called to something great. We have been called to hope with feet on. We've been called to action. We've been called to prepare for this arrival of this king. Hope is not passive. I think that's the main thing that I would, I would take away is that Jesus invites us into this journey. Jesus asks us to prepare, just like that football team that knows the day is coming when the game will be here. And he wants us to prepare. Hope is active. Hope is that thing that looks around and says, you know what, the, the, everything seems to be decaying and dying around me, but you know what, I'm going to plant anyway. I'm going to sow the seeds of the good news, just like I've been commissioned to do. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't know if that plant's going to grow, but that doesn't matter. Hope is active. Hope is my faith looking to the future, but my present faith is the faith that I act on. Hope is active. Here's some do's and don'ts as we prepare for the coming of the king with our hope in this season called Advent. Here's what we should not do. We should not focus only on the future. Yeah, the future is a wonderful thing. I, I like the idea of living when Jesus reigns. I like the idea of the kingdom of God being here. I like the idea of a new heaven and a new earth. But if that's all I live for, I'm pretty worthless in the present. So we can't focus only on the future. We also can't passively wait to see what God will do. You're know, like, Bill, it says all over, be still, know that I am God. Those who wait on the Lord gain strength. That's true. But there's more. <laughs> There's that whole part about go and make disciples that Jesus himself said. There's that whole thing about I will empower you. I will give you words to speak. I will give you actions to do. I will strengthen you so that you can do this. We can do this, word sir. It's not just waiting and see what he's going to do. It's being a part of it. 
So what do we do? Well, I think the first thing we got to do is pray. How do you know what the coach wants you to do unless you talk to the coach? I mean, he's got a playbook, right? And most of us know some of the plays. I don't think anybody knows all the plays because sometimes Jesus, the quarterback, calls audibles. And we got to be ready to respond. Do we not? Is this too soon for the AM and A&M crowd? Are we okay? <laughs> there's, there's counseling available afterwards, all right? <laughs> so pray, talk to the coach. Prepare. Like I said, nobody's going to just sit there and wait. We're going to prepare. We're going to be ready. We're going to know what we're supposed to know. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. And when we don't, we're going to know about forgiveness and grace that puts us back on the track. Because what we cannot afford to do is get knocked off track and just go, oh, well, I guess it's just not going to happen. No, it is going to happen. And that's my point. Regardless of whether I participate or not, God's going to do what God's going to do. My great fear is that he's not going to accomplish his goal. He's going to accomplish his goal. My great fear is I'm going to miss out on being a part of that. I don't want any of us to miss out. So as we pray, we prepare. And finally, the the whole point of all of this, excuse me, is to grow into the likeness of Christ. I have this image of Christ coming back. He's leading the heavenly armies and all, you know, this is kind of the way I think. Sorry, you just live with it. Uh, He's leading the heavenly armies and he says, rise up, who's with me? And we're like, spiritual couch potato is with you. Uh, No, no, spiritual warrior will be with you. But the spiritual couch potato is pretty worthless at that point. The question is, which one do you want to be? The spiritual warrior or the spiritual couch potato? I'll tell you, it's a whole lot easier to be the spiritual couch potato. You already know that. But here's the other good news. We have a Savior who will equip us, who will train us, who will prepare us. So as we go forward into this season called Advent, I want us to think about what our faith means. And I want us to think not only of the future, but all faith as we prepare for this coming of the King. See, it's our faith in the future that will give us hope. It's our faith in the past that gives us the confidence that God will do what God said he'll do. But it's our faith in the present where action occurs, where preparation occurs, where the sharing of the good news occurs. This is where the action is. And the action is coming to a theater near you. And his name is Jesus Christ. Will you hope actively? Let's hope together this Advent season, Lord, sir. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for hope. Thank you for a future that you have already seen, already planned, and already prepared for. God, as we face an uncertain future, we don't have that insight. We don't see what you see. We don't know what you know. But what we do have is the confidence that we serve a God who is love, a God who is not surprised, a God who is sovereign and in control. Give us the confidence to look back on what you have done in our lives and are doing, that you will do what you say you will do, even if it doesn't look exactly like we think. You will win. But God, give us the courage to live in the present, to be active now, not just to hope and wait passively, but to be engaged in the building of your kingdom. 
God, not that we're the saviors. You've already done that for us. But we represent you. Help us to represent well. Give us your Holy Spirit. Give us your grace. And give us your truth. And let us share that good news with the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.